Welcome, audience, to a very special episode of Blind Insights and Blind Drunk. We decided after recording this episode of Blind Drunk that it was very suitable for a cross-post. So you'll find that though we're enjoying two drinks over this slightly more casual conversation, that in fact this conversation provided more insight than the Blind Drunk podcast, which you can subscribe to, is used to. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce two creatives, Lucas Day and Pat Murray. Good evening, morning, or afternoon listeners, I think is the David line. You're joining us for another episode of Blind Drunk, a very special episode. A special episode for me and a special episode for one of our guests. It happens to be a birthday episode. We are joined, of course, by David Olney. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's not your birthday. It's not it my birthday. Because, listeners, we have found the lost David's birthday 2019 episode. <laughs> the file still exists, and at some point, maybe the day before my 2020 birthday, it'll get released as the lost episode. That'd be a good way to do it, and that takes the pressure off me for getting he's it He's got out. another three months, which is always a good thing when he's trying to get uni done. No, but of course, we have to sing happy birthday. No, please no, don't. Pat, Pat can decide <laughs> if we have to. Your choice, Pat. No, I would okay, actually suggest it's a very bad thing to hear me attempting to sing with a microphone. Fair enough. We're joined, of course, with Patrick Murray. Thank you Thanks. for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. And happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> And of course, no less, we are also joined with Lucas Day. Thank you for joining us, Lucas. G'day, guys. It's excellent to have you guys here. It's a, a bit of an eclectic kind of mix we've got here. Of course, I've known these two gentlemen from school. They graduated a year before me. So there was that kind of uh, look up to dynamic. But, you know, we're on a podcast now and all is equal. <laughs> <laughs> we're particularly seeing it's your podcast. Yeah, we're at your mercy now. <laughs> Tim's got control of the deck, so anything can happen. I will absolutely edit you into oblivion. <laughs> You'd be more fabulous than you've ever been. It wouldn't be an episode of Blind Drunk if we weren't drinking some alcohol. And we have I have put in front of David, um, unfortunately, an, a brew that he was not as keen on. but Only because of <clears> what the alternative was. We're drinking a cashmere mm. New England IPA. So we're on a very nice IPA. Mm. Pirate the, life, right? Yeah. But the alternative... Yeah, is a Celtic red ale from Bridge Road, which is the beer that makes you think, now it's time to take down the Roman Legion. <laughs> what any proper Celtic red ale should do. And really important audience, we're sitting at my favourite pub in North Adelaide, the Oxford. And I didn't even know there's a banquet room, so I now know where I could have my birthday. <laughs> And we're not going to get picked up for copyright because that music is just far too distant. <laughs> it's about as similar as it was when we were at the Crafers and I was singing Bruce Springsteen. Were you? Was it Born in the USA? Oh, you were too. That's Bruce, that's Bruce Springsteen. I'd forgotten that till now. I think I was more You're doing it again. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're going to get a copyright strike because my version <laughs> just sounds so similar. Or so much better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I think in order to get us on track here, because sometimes we actually need to be on track. It's just mm. a novel idea. Gentlemen, you both make things. And now that we've done the episode on Thawa Valley Forge with Karim, we've opened up the door to talking to people who make things. So today's Blind Drunk is really about why it's so cool to make things and what you make and what you'd like to make in future and just our normal thing of how's your week been, what cool thing happened, what have you read, what have you thought about, what thing freaked you out. So we can start anywhere people 
would like. Birthday boy rules, you can either go first or last. <laughs> uh, I'll, go, I'll go last. Fair right. enough. Lucas, tell us about what you make. Well, I am a uh, singer-songwriter, so uh, I make music. And of late, I've been recording uh, four new tracks at a studio in West Theberton called Wonderberg Studio. They popped up on my Facebook feed the other day. They've got what a combination of analog and digital kit. He so does. You can go for different sounds. Yeah, Lewis is there and I've, I've done about maybe six days I've done in there and, and yeah, tracked it with a live drummer and then overdubbed with, you know, acoustic guitar and vocals and harmonies and yeah, it's just been a great process. Kind of my first studio EP. So there's four tracks, but going through this process of creating as we're talking about this reflection of this point in time for my music and all that it's been an interesting learning so did you walk into the studio with a pretty good idea of what you wanted to come out the other end with or you went in with raw songs and very open to them evolving once you had the input of other people and being able to hear how it was sounding yeah that's a good question i went in with a demo demo tracks of, of what i had done so there were four songs that I had written, three of them during COVID, and one of them I had written maybe a couple of years ago, but along a similar theme. So I had gone in, but I didn't want to get stuck in what they call demo-itis, which is where you overproduce your demos and then you lose all your creativity mm. for the studio. Because you want to make it sound exactly like the demo, but better, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't want to be sounding like a pizza tray super shiny and kind of pointless exactly so one thing with my music is that it is quite raw and and emotional and you know there isn't too many layers for it so i wanted to keep that true by maybe it having it not so overproduced or or anything like that so i wanted to keep it true to that so it's been interesting just going along that journey and so my demos were just at home you know recorded with my acoustic and my little foot drum kit played some bass lines on it writing the guitar two parts did some harmonies so that was about the extent and it kind of kept true to that number of tracks in the actual studio as well but just with a lot better equipment to record it all and a set of professional ears mixing it so have you been surprised by what the professional has done when they mixed it have you gone wow i wouldn't have thought of that or has the person really taken on board where you were heading and, in a sense, just crystallised what you were trying to do, do you think? Definitely crystallised. I don't have, obviously, all the know-how and experience that he has, but I understand some of his decision-making when he is recording the drums and bass and acoustic guitar. He knows where to place the mics to get a decent sound. He knows which preamps or mics to even use to get the best image of that acoustic guitar so i have a i have a a martin omc guitar that is amazing sounding but i can never get it to sound good with the mics that i have at home what does omc stand for i don't remember that as a designation it's the body shape and the c is a cutaway ah okay so it's a kind of a symphony size it's quite a thin body so full-size, thin body and cutaway, essentially. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So, and it's just, I've had it maybe eight years and it's just been getting warmer and warmer sounding. So, but the, the warmness never came out through the mics that I had. So when I really noticed that it was a studio recording is when the reflection of that guitar, how it sounds to my ear naturally, 
when that was reflected on tape or not tape, but you know, on the digital, exactly. Yeah. Wow. And this is the kind of stuff, again, you're so busy trying to do in studio what you want to do. But on the other hand, when you've got amazing people to learn from, you go, where did that mic go? What mic was it? What cable did it go to? What did it run into? And what were the settings? Exactly. So you find you just get overwhelmed at the end of a session because you've done everything you need to do to get a good performance and tried to learn everything everyone else is helping you with. One, so that you can be a bit more self-reliant in your own time. And two, you can work even faster in the studio. And you just come home like you've been wrung out like a dish rag from my memories. Exactly. Oh, coming home from the studio, yeah. You, you get a bit burnt out, but it's so it's so fun and takes a lot of energy, especially on tracking vocals. That, that day that I did that, it was I had to go in and do it on a separate day as well because it, I you wasn't prepared wall. to do yeah. eight hours of singing that day, you know. It takes a lot out of your voice and, and that kind of stuff, to, especially to, to get it to that, that high level that you want perfect for a recording there's a lot of uh, takes yeah i was always glad as a guitarist that i got to go home fairly quickly <laughs> like the, the vocals would always still be there yes i'd come in and either i could get what they wanted or they could tweak what i'd done or they could tweak the settings on the digital processing and relatively quickly you know if i had to be there for more than 90 minutes something had kind of gone wrong right and you know the poor vocalist would only really at that point be just starting to get to where everything was coming together if it was going really well. Yeah, so it's been a definite process. So I just finished the final mixes uh, yesterday and now it goes to the mastering stage. So I'm paying these professionals to produce essentially these songs that I've written. And if we go back to talking about creating, I would rather spend more time on creating the songs and then taking it to a professional to speed up that process of getting it to a good quality to then release because that's where their creativity is is best used. So when when I talked about demoitis, I would rather use my creativity in the studio where it can be captured and, and in my own time writing the songs and constructing the songs at a raw, more raw sense there and then take it to the studio and then get some professionals to spice it up a bit. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you totally because I remember working with people who would have the fixation from the first idea to the final product and as a consequence if you actually judged it on the amount of time invested their level of productivity was terrible and if they go down a rabbit hole they don't come out for a month so despite all the talent people would lose a month at a time fiddling with stuff that either a professional would fix or decided need to be different to be better but because it's your own project you lose all sight so it's really good that you already recognized i'd rather go do a new exciting thing and get it to the point of handling to these people to apply their professional polish on. I think it's a, a really important thing to have it be a reflection of my skill level and talent at a certain time. And that will change with naturally your growth as any professional in any industry. So I just want it to be a snapshot of that time. And that's the music that I was making at that time. Try and get it as best as I can. And then there's always more songs to be written. You know, there's always more things to be created. Yeah. And when you're famous, you can release the remastered, re-recorded whatever <laughs> version. Yeah, of those you songs. can revisit things and re-record them later and it means something. Because you go back 10 years time and go, I see that differently now. So I'm going to sing it differently now. So yeah. there's a legitimate reason to have both versions. I started writing songs when I was 13 years old and Tim and, and Pat, you've probably heard plenty at assemblies, had to sit through my <laughs> early stuff, but, you know, school assemblies. But yeah, I think even playing those old songs now, I still get value out of them. And it, even though they were simplistic because my skills were 
not where they are now, but the process of writing the song was ultimately the same. It's still that creating. It's still that reflection of who I was at that point. Yeah, and you now get to reflect on, I was there then, I was there at this other point. So you see, and this is why it's so important. People, if you're going to start making anything, finish what you start. Finish projects. So many people go, it's not perfect. Start another thing. It's not perfect. Start another thing. And all they end up with left with is essentially the wreckage of not completing anything. And it can often end you know, a creative career because they can't look back and see the development. All they think they see is continued wreckage. So immaterial of how simple a project is, my experience has always been finish it, put it away in the best finished form you can at the time, knowing that's a marker on the road. That's that phase down and you learn a lesson, you're going to try and apply that lesson. Now you can go on to the next marker on the road and see what you can achieve with the next part of the project. And why would you want to skip a marker? Like that is your yeah, road. in a hurry to start exactly. them, but you can't get to start them without being an artist. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I find that very relatable. Like if you don't look back on something you've done even two months ago and think, oh, what was I thinking when I did that? <laughs> or like you don't think you've grown from that, then are you really making any progress? Like, it's okay to put something out there that isn't perfect because that is the only way to improve. Yeah. It was as good as it could be on the day it came into existence. And it's a marker of what you were capable of on that day. And that's worth hanging on to because it means that's your new baseline. Here is where I know is always solid. So in your case, Pat, you you were saying you started welding at 12. Oh, also, I started working for your mum and dad at yeah, 12 past. I was sweep, sweeping the floors, but... So when did you actually start playing with hot things and... The first time I played with the welder was when I was left unattended. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I know what to do. And I, I turned on this welder. It was a MIG welder. Got two pieces of aluminium plate and put them together and tried to weld them with silicon bronze with no gas on. <gasps> and What um, happened? Oh, it made a mess. And then I was like, oh, this doesn't look too bad. And then I went to grab it and obviously it was hot. And then it fell and hit the floor and fell into two pieces. So, <laughs> so, and did I, you learn from that? Yeah, I, I learned that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but that you were really excited to know how to make it work. Yeah, let's make something hot and sparks. So I think I started MIG welding probably at work around 2011, 2012, more so when I had finished school. And that was just MIG welding, galvanized steel, so not really fun stuff. But that's how you get your core competencies. Yeah, and I was welding really thin material, like 1.2, 1.6 mil. So then when I finally did get around to going to trade school and doing an apprenticeship, they were like, oh yeah, you know, these are the welds you have to do and it's on half inch plate so you know 12 millimeter thick steel material and i was like well this is easy because it's a lot easier welding heavy stuff mm. than really you don't thin blow stuff. holes in it yeah. yeah and it was clean mild steel as well not galv so which means less um, weird shit going up in the air and less strange things happening yeah yeah so much more enjoyable so you essentially started on the hard stuff yeah and same with when i got into tig welding which is what i really got passionate about i started welding aluminium which not a lot of people do and a lot of people find quite intimidating. But that's what I learnt on, that's all I knew. I was TIG welding aluminium for maybe two years before I even tried welding steel or stainless. So what's the main thing that aluminium gets welded to make? What, things like bull bars or um, what's the main use? Oh, lots of things really. It should okay. be used for more things in my opinion because 
you go down the beach and you see again aluminium's amazing and it's so stable yeah, yeah yeah you know you go down the beach and you see that they've made pergolas and stuff out of steel and it's just you, you wonder know, why it looks good there for about six months and mm. then it's dripping with rust so yeah lots of things mainly what i do is custom fencing and gates that's sort of my the main job we do 98 percent of that in aluminium wow so um, your core competency is building things that people are going to have for decades and they're going to walk through that gate or along that fence every day so the amount of scrutiny on your work remarkably high for something that a lot of people would take for granted but if you're the person who's just paid for it you're going to notice whether everything's straight what all the worlds look like yeah we um that's probably the best thing we have going for us at work is the quality of the welding on the frames and stuff because all our frames are TIG welded a lot of the competition is just they'll either MIG weld it or spool gun it and then it looks like crap so they grind it off and then they don't take much care grinding it off and then it doesn't like yeah it just doesn't look good so no matter where we go pat always finds a weld that he doesn't it looks like dodgy. <laughs> everyone's probably sick of me talking about it but oh, never i remember <laughs> not on your birthday at least i remember when my uncle was doing the qualification to potentially work at subcorp when the column submarines were being built in the 80s and 90s you know the different skills he had to be able to show to be potentially able to apply for a job and you're putting rows of weld line after line after line to fill a gap. You own a huge curved piece of metal above your head. It's just like crazy stuff. So I think anyone who's good at this stuff is welcome to go, well, that's a garbage one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've paid their dues. Yeah, yeah. You, you can legitimately do that because you can pull out of your back pocket the photo of what perfect looks like. Yeah, I try, I try not to be that guy because I try to be quite humble about my welding because too often do I meet someone who's like oh yeah i'm a welder and stuff and they like to brag about that a bit and i kind of wonder like how much do you really know about welding because i know that i don't like to brag about it because i know how much i don't know about it mm. yeah. yeah the more you know the realize you don't know very much yeah again it sounds like you'd make the perfect knife maker because humbleness no matter how good they are is the most common thing in the community they all spend so much time on their own in their shed dealing with the perfect image in their head that trying to even get close to the perfect image means even when everyone else thinks they've done something amazing they still know it wasn't the image in their head yeah and i think that's how you grow in a profession like that as soon as you become satisfied with the work you're putting out whether it's your welds your music like as soon as you're completely satisfied with it are you going to keep growing from that if you can't see room for improvement what's the drive to do better mm. how do you find the combination of going to work monday to friday and doing the conventional work of building the gates and the frames and the fences how does that then prepare you on the weekend when you go right now it's time to make something really creative do you find it means your competencies are really high or do you really itch for Saturday when you can kind of go wild and do sculpture? Or how does it tend to work for you where both job and joy you know, are with the same tools? Yeah, so that's something I always battle with. During the week, it does involve skill and TIG welding and the things I love. But I've been doing it for so long, it's second nature to me. So I listen to podcasts like all day every day wow um if i forget my headphones then i'm then you're really <laughs> angry yeah. Um, yeah. i'm like Dah. like if i if i have to be half an hour late 
the work to go back and get my headphones. It's better to do that. Yeah. Because your productivity will be so much better. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm always, if I'm not listening to podcasts, I'm working, but I'm thinking about, or what am I going to do after work? What's the next step on this project or that? Yeah, it's always a struggle because I make lists of things I want to do and I'm always so inspired to do in the morning, but then come around to 4.30, 5 o'clock when I'm finishing up work, I'm like, oh. Just really haven't got the energy. Yeah, like, all right, now I'm tired. And then, um, yeah, that kind of weighs on me a bit. But Have you tried doing your own sculpture in the morning, getting up that hour early, or you're just not a morning person? I wish I was a morning person. I... I try to be, but you're not. Yeah, I'm more of a night person. Like I will be in the workshop to 11 p.m. So you really later. need to come home, be mellow for a bit, and then go right. The switch is back on. Got yeah. some energy again. Got the idea. Off I go, and then hope you remember to go to sleep. Yeah, like different project. It wasn't welding, but last night I got home at about five, and besides stopping to free a bird from the fireplace that fell down the flue and <laughs> have some dinner, I was um, in the cellar until 10.30, um, taking the walls, all the old plaster off the walls back to the original stonework so I can replaster it. And that was like my project for the night. So there was another almost five hours of work, mm. like labor intensive work that, but um, yeah, like I just don't have trouble getting that second wind because that's what I want to do. Yeah, it makes do. you happy. Yeah. And that's yeah. what people don't realize. Like people who keep telling me, oh, I don't have any energy. Well, get a freaking life. Yeah. <laughs> if you find something you love, the energy will sort itself. Recently at the start of this year, I, I was off work for oh, two to three months with chronic fatigue. I had burnt myself because I'm just a really hard worker. Like I'll, that's what the kind of thing I do. I'll yeah. work all day. I'll go home. I'll work. I work on weekends, not because it's work. I shouldn't always call it work because it's just physical. It's physical work. It's endless it's physical activity. Yeah, yeah. I really burnt myself out, and yeah, I had chronic fatigue for two or three months, and I think coming out of it when I was getting better, it was hard because the more you sit around and do nothing, the worse you feel. So I was trying to find a balance between getting out of bed and going and doing things but not overdoing it and setting myself back. But if you don't get out and do those things, you feel like sitting around, sitting around is the worst. Yeah. It was a real, I think to the end of it, it was a real psychological battle with how I was feeling, whether it was actually physically tired or a mental tiredness because I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't understand when they're physically tired or mentally tired, they don't know how to distinguish between the two. And it's kind of important to realise that more often than not, either your brain or body goes under first. They don't go under at the same time. You know, you can be physically exhausted or you can be mentally exhausted. Rarely is it both at the same time. Well, in your case, your brain was clearly just buzzing along before the chronic fatigue, so your body got told to keep up. Yeah. Whereas there were probably some big cues from your body going, hey, Pat, Oh yeah. have uh, a nap. <laughs> yeah, it didn't help that I got really sick when I was in Bali. We were on a small island and I ended up in the emergency room there with a really bad fever like I was hallucinating and it was during Ramadan so none of the doctors were there there was just these two young apprentice girls there and they had to put me on an IV and they missed my vein about four times (laughs) and then when they thought they got it about 10 minutes later Chloe was like oh your arm is so cold 
and they had missed the vein. The liquid was just going oh. into your arm. Yeah, and it just went straight in my oh. arm. And I was, yeah, I was not in a good way. And we ended up coming home about a week early and I went straight to hospital. Yep. That was early in the year and then I just never really recovered from that. Yep, but so really you were always on the cusp. But you went back to your full yeah. work yeah. load. And then I went to push right. myself as hard as I always yeah. do. And, uh, and yeah. then body said, had enough. Yeah, and then I crashed, so... Far out. What did you learn then? <laughs> to yeah, just to take it easy, like um, your version of easy. Let's qualify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. take it easy. Yeah. You made that eminently clear. And I still, look, I'm still not perfect at it. I even because I work, but I also have my own business. I was doing some stainless, uh, high tolerance stuff for the military, and um, yeah, they've got deadlines, and then they sent me parts four days before the deadline with about 50 hours of work to do. Oh, wow. So I spent a lot of, like, a full weekends at the shop in the morning till, you know, 11 o'clock at night doing high-tolerance stuff, which is really mentally draining. Measure, and measure, 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 yeah, then well, work. Yeah. yeah. All right, do attack, measure, because a little attack on stainless, that's going to distort. It's going to distort yeah. the whole thing from the heat, isn't it? Yeah, so after that, I was like, all right, at the moment, I'm not taking on any work in my side business because I just don't have the time or energy for it. We've just moved house as well, so I've got I've got other stuff well, I like want to do. Like you said, you're working in the cellar. Yeah. yeah, there's things you want to get done so that when you come home, you can go home doesn't have any major projects that need to be done. Yeah, and like I'm not getting paid for it, but at least I don't have someone screaming you're at not me paying for, for it. A yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that too. Yeah, I mean, you guys. We've had this discussion about being creators, but that job is so much more than it used to be. You know, you guys have to do more than I think people in your positions 50 years ago would have had to do. <laughs> For instance, Pat, in your side business, you know, you've got a, a fairly successful Instagram and kind of social media profile. Lucas, you were talking about how your job is a kind of, we've had a discussion about how your job is extended from being the creator of songs to also having an input in the mixing process. And then not only that, but you also have to, it's not just about gigging anymore. It's about how, what, what your social media presence is, where all of that music is available to people and all of those things, because your jobs as creators are, have to fit into the 21st century. It's yeah, like support industry has fallen away and everyone now has to multi-role for mm. no extra income. Exactly. Yeah. So, and we're responsible to put what we create in front of people who we think will appreciate what we create. Yeah. So, and that, that is arguably as big of a job. Oh yeah. So, you know, now that I have met, um, recorded my songs, there's a huge task of marketing them next, yeah. you know, getting the promotion done before the release. Yeah. So that is so important. And, so it can go to the right people who I or Spotify or Apple Music or whoever thinks would like to listen to it and benefit from it. And the thing is, while you're doing all that promotional stuff, you've got to leave enough time in the day to be working on the next EP or you won't be getting joy out of life and then you won't be doing the PR well. Exactly. So trying to get the balance now. Yeah, It's like with the podcast, the recording of them is fun, the research is fun, but working out who next, what next, there's always these extra steps. And then you start working out, well, how do you commercialise it? And somehow you have to balance all these things so they get done. There's enough energy for the creative bit, but you also don't suddenly discover that you've been constantly working on a 26-hour day. And they don't work very well. No. <laughs> 
Yeah, unfortunately, for the last few you months, can't do seven of them in a week. No, no. Unfortunately, <laughs> for the last few months of getting to the end of a huge defence report, it's been like, oh, that was another twenty-three and three-quarter hour day. Spiffy. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Not sustainable. I think that's the hardest thing about being a creative as well is people don't see all the work you have to do behind the scenes to put out something. Like, I think there's a huge disconnect, you know, like with knife making, for example, like people will look at a knife and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a knife. They don't realize that that could be 100 hours of someone fine grinding that, filing and just the work that goes into that behind the scenes and then you just, you know, take a photo of it and post it and whatever and then it's 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 up for... Reduced down to one photo. Yeah. It's why the very, very good knife makers, when they're doing a project for your commission piece, send photos at each step. It takes them more time in the workshop, but all the knife makers I know who do it say it has a dramatic impact on their customers understanding what they do and having a greater appreciation and being a bit more flexible on time. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I always say to the guys, like, guys, you don't have to send me the photos. I can't see them. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're taking them anyway because that sequence is good for us if we need to make something like yours again or if we have an idea. I'm like, well, that's fine. Then send me the photos. And I'll bug people to describe photos of you know, a blob of you know, steel <laughs> on a forge about to get whacked with a hammer. <laughs> Which is my idea of fun, but I'm weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, expectations are higher, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important for people, even if they don't think they're creative, I think it's important for people to have a creative outlet, no matter what that is, you know, like learn an instrument, learn to make something. It doesn't have to be, like we were saying earlier, it doesn't have to be amazing. You just need to finish it yeah. and then you'll learn from that and the next thing will be better. And you get to enjoy what you've made. Like some, of, well, I guess some of the time. I mean, I, I can't think now that I've said that. I can't think of anything that comes to mind where you can't enjoy what you've made. But you get to enjoy what you've made, whether a it be, rocket, yeah, whether it be like uh, if you did that homemade rocket thing, yeah, where you launch it and it just goes up and then goes splat when it yeah. falls. Yeah. I suppose you enjoy it going up. Yeah. If you if you're like a chef, and yeah, you, I was just about to yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the meal, yeah, the, yeah. Like, it's like goodbye. Yeah. Someone else can eat that and enjoy it. Yeah. I love the idea of making food, but rarely when it is my turn to cook, do I <laughs> just not go to you No, no, it's not, not that I'm, it's like, I'm speaking I'm, for myself. <laughs> <laughs> rarely when I go to make a meal, am I prepared, energetic, enthusiastic about it enough to, and this is awful, by the way, it's like enthusiastic about it enough to make something that I would really like to eat you know like i'll just make the easiest thing that's available yeah, to but me. part of it's that time thing that unless you're really into it you go one hour to make 11 minutes to eat yeah, yeah. how yeah. do i get one hour down to 46 I minutes know. that's right so you keep looking for the shortcuts yeah. i know chicken sensor fry it up yeah yeah <laughs> bang done oh, salad is you know yeah. rinse leaves put leaves on plate pour vinegar on top yeah i don't even go that far <laughs> <laughs> just a schnitzel just a schnitzel. there's nothing green on pat's plate you put a bit of this cheese on top of the this says a great deal maybe about where the chronic fatigue <laughs> malnutrition <laughs> well no just no nutrition yeah. <laughs> calories but no nutrition i have two chicken sensors not just one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can put the lettuce in the middle. <laughs> the chicken ate all the vegetables for me. Yeah. Ah, so what you need is lettuce raised chicken. Yeah. yeah you got a farm now, Pat. You can uh, get your yeah. own chickens. Yeah. You got to hire Liz to make me a bloody. Yeah, that's right. Coop. That's right. <laughs> right. Because, of course, you're in your own solo project, Lucas, but also part of a, a, a duo with your partner. That's right. Liz and Lucas. Mm-hmm. Liz is currently over in. Uh, 
Tampa, Florida. Wow, We've been doing the long distance for a while. How long have you been stuck there for? Since um, before. How long have you been stuck here? <laughs> yeah, well, either stuck way apart. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's been, it's approaching six months. Okay, which so she is, literally got there just before things went crazy. Yeah, so she was wow. here in March, late March, and then then it was getting crazy and, and she wanted to go, well, came to the decision that she would go home to, you know, look after her family a little bit. Yeah. And then without knowing it would all be. So that ha- that's definitely influenced some of the music that I've been writing a bit more about long distance and, and how to how to deal with that or just a reflection of how I'm feeling at that point. But yeah, we've been obviously longing to to see each other again and uh, make music. We we have a couple songs on on Spotify and on on the streaming surface, services as well. And we've also been doing cruise ship musician gigs uh, as a duo for the last three and a bit years. They're meant so. to be a great way to kind of just relax, earn some money and be mellow for a bit. That's right. I think the relaxing part is that you are employed to make music every day. Yeah, you're just there. You don't have to keep loading up the van, unloading the van, finding the next motel. It's like being yeah. on a tour where the people come to you. Yeah, it'd be like having a residency in Las Vegas. Which sounds like the ultimate gig for a muser. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the dance capacity to do that on a big stage, but Dude, yeah. we can work on that. It yeah, possible. you got some moves to teach me. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure as a group we can help somehow. Even if Pat installs some sort of pivots, <laughs> there you go. Installs bearings. Uh, it's definitely an addictive situation and, 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 and source of employment because we would do anywhere from two month contracts to six month contracts where we would play four hours a night of music six, wow. six days a week so wow. I didn't really know I could do that before I did my first one and so lucky when Liz and I started the, the duo you essentially sing slightly less than you would if you were a solo doing four hours because you know, we take in turns mm. singing melody on each song, and then one, the other one would sing harmony. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm playing the guitar and and my hours. and my foot drums when I first got it. Which is there's a guy in Michigan who custom makes a drum set, a four piece drum set, which has a bass, a snare, a hi hat, and a crash. And it's about the size of a small suitcase, a, a wooden frame with the drum on the front and an upside down snare in the middle and there are six pedal triggers and each one controls a certain sound. So you'd have a close hi-hat or a crash or a kick drum and a couple of snares. And so when I first bought that and started playing that on the ship, I had never really practiced too much before. And then after three years of playing on a ship every single day for four hours a day, you get pretty good pretty quick. Yeah, Yeah, and that, that is my physical activity. You don't need any more. Basically, yeah. as long as you roll out of bed, have a shower, get on stage, do your four hours, have a big meal. That, and that is... we like the human cruise ship vampire. <laughs> exactly. That is the exact thing. So we would finish a gig maybe about midnight on a ship. And there's always what they call midnight mess, which is where a lot of any different crew member would go to the, the mess hall and, and get just as much food as you want at that time of night. It's the end of the day and if I use it then great. If I don't it's gone. That is my that is that would be my main meal of the day. So yeah. I would probably do a lunch, a dinner and then a midnight mess. Yeah. And and then you'd probably stay up for it because you're wired after a gig yeah, you probably stay probably up wait for a sunrise watch the sun come up and then crash <laughs> yeah. yeah and then you and you don't have any windows in your cabin so you, so have to you go up on deck you're, yeah. you'll sleep until 
who knows when, whenever you should probably get up if you have a training or a, a safety drill or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably waking you up in, in, the, in the cabin because it's pitch black. But wow. yeah, it's a, that kind of shifted my day a bit later in the day, but it was always, I would always be so ravenous at the end of a gig and just go down and just crush like white rice and soup or something and, and just eat as much as I could and then go to sleep straight away, which is not a good thing to do, but... He's in good shape, listeners, just so you yeah. can't... <laughs> yeah. if, you, if, you, you know, if you're smacking a drum kit four hours a day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And playing the guitar, yeah it, yeah, it takes a bit of concentration for sure. And your neuroplasticity is going to be outstanding. I have had upwards of 1,500 different people come on every single week. And I've had a number of neurologists somehow there on there. Yeah. Or it's... subject. Or a pilot, because they often do... You know, feet and hands and brain exactly. Yeah. So they've come up to me and and a couple of times have been like, oh, I would love to just put the, the sensors on my oh, brain yeah. while I'm doing it and, and see. But it's got to a stage at the at the very start of learning to do that. It was incredibly difficult. But I linked it because I'm playing guitar at the same time. So as just I connected it all as chunks. Exactly. Yeah. As as I do a down strum. I would do a bass, yep. uh, like a kick drum. And then as I do an up strum, it, I would do a snare. And so that built, that was like, okay, that was the easiest way to start mm. because all it took was starting yep. to create that sound. Then my ears got better at learning what my feet could do. So then my audiation of yep. like hearing it on the inside, I was yep. like, okay, yes, maybe I can reflect that with my feet and actually do that sound and, and create that. And then it just added little bits, little bits, little bits over three years. And now I get people telling me all the time it sounds like someone's playing the drums. Yeah. Which now, it does. Which sounds sounds fantastic. Like a three-piece band. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, Tim was saying we had to come and visit you one day so I could have a feel of your drum kit. Yeah. He's trying to describe it for me. I'm like, this thing sounds awesome. Because I always wondered how occasionally you get the person, like in the mall, who's, you know, singing guitar and the drums. And I think, well, that must be basically the similar kit to what you're using. And I've always gone, Wow. I wonder how many years it took to get the routine to build the chunks to build the finished product. I have never seen anything. Yeah, it though, sounds like you've got the like, way better version. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen anything like what Lucas has I've, until until he, he got it, basically. I've, and let's be like, Michigan is freezing cold, rains nine months of the year. Someone goes, i got a project. I'm <laughs> heading for the basement. Yeah. Like it's the perfect place to have a brilliant idea to build the most amazing feet-only drum kit. That's a uh, Pete Farmer, Farmer Foot Drums. Mm. <laughs> Good advertising. Yeah. Yeah. No, he isn't. You should be. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, he should be putting money in towards the you know the EP. <laughs> That's yeah. right. If, but yeah, the, the old one was recorded with the the foot drums. But I, I might actually get a chance to go and see him if I head to America. So and so, we have some spec, some time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you would. <laughs> get Man. your own get your own custom one made up the Lucas signature yeah I would uh, love that I have my own style playing it so we'll, we'll see if you go into Michigan let me know and I'll send you to the right knife makers <laughs> there you go have a little shopping list for you yeah <laughs> you can all come back inside the drum kit <laughs> <laughs> yeah hide it in there they won't stop me yet. they stop me every single time to check what's in this oh. actually Pat made the case the, the flight case for it oh, he welded it up repaired it a couple of times yeah repa- yeah exactly <laughs> Because yeah, really, I imagine it's quite fragile. To be it's oh, the case? Or no, no, no. no. <laughs> if you build the case, I'm assuming the case could be you know, dropped and a truck could run over it and the truck would suffer. Yeah, it's 
it's held up pretty well. How yeah. long ago was that? Three years, maybe? Yeah, I would oh. say so. You may mean the first one, which was just kind of like a... Oh, the trolley. Thing. The trolley. And now this one is a case that closes and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been slammed down a big conveyor belt and had lots of different... Oh, no. Like dents in it. But yeah. you've repaired it every time, mate. Yeah. And we made those... Um, I'm surprised they held up that one. We made these... Um, stair climbing wheels so it's it has a also oh, like a three-wheel trolley so yes. exactly yeah exactly. oh dude that is and um i'm surprised cool. they have held up really <laughs> yeah. But yeah what just a couple of plastic bunnings wheels that well, you reinforce you're just, with. You're just, just doing it were, the right way so that you can get the tilt for the stairs you've got to get the angles right yeah or just yeah. that they were welded onto because it also had to be as light as possible yeah because you know, otherwise you're paying pay an extra hundred money. bucks for every extra whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I'm paying it. It was. It has to be under thirty-two kilograms in total. And we're like just. And it's like every single time it's like thirty-one point eight or <laughs> something. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, you travel with a backpack with two t-shirts and a pair of jeans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You need a fatter guitar so you can take the strings off and pack your guitar full. Yeah, that's right. Because that's never up to the weight of a yep. a, a piece of luggage. Just pack it full. I hadn't thought about that. That's genius. No, I learned that lesson a long time ago. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. is an empty space. I do have a bit of a sock collection as well, <laughs> seeing as I play in my in my socks. I play the drums in my socks. So ah, to get enough feel. That, exactly. So you come on the stage and there you are. You take your shoes off once you're comfy or you walk on in socks? I walk on and take my shoes off and, that, and make cool, the biggest deal of, out of it as I can. Make it part of the <laughs> flourish. Yeah. Make the yeah. point anyone gives me any shit, the shoes flying at you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everyone should relax. I've got my shoes off. You know. <laughs> Where's what? the beanbag? Yeah. Gentlemen, I've noticed that at least two of us have finished our, our drinks. Should we have a, have a quick drink, drinks break and, and bring it back? Sounds good. Happy to. Would love to. Cool. I was drinking it slow because I wanted it to not run out. Yep. Well, before we do that, we do have to ask Lucas very nicely if he will play a song for us live on the podcast. Amazing. Yes. Okay, cool. That would be really, really good. At this point, listeners, we took a drinks break and I set up the microphones for Lucas to play his new track without it. Accompanied by Pat improvising on the harmonica. Listeners, Lucas is an incredibly talented performer and I encourage you to check out his tracks on Apple Music or Spotify, but I was not prepared for the strength of his voice. I didn't lower his levels enough and there is some minor distortion, but what the two achieved in a very small reverberating room was astonishing. If you enjoyed this at all, the studio versions are definitely worth a listen. So hard to 
Just go with the flow Oh, but my ego craves the control My ego craves control
Yay, thank you, Lucas. Yeah, yeah good job. <laughs> My pleasure, guys. <laughs> we really appreciate that. Thank you both very much. Thank you again for Lucas and Pat playing for us live on the podcast. Don't forget to find Lucas Day or Liz and Lucas on Apple Music and Spotify to hear more. After getting our drinks and being entertained, we return to the discussion with Pat talking about his next passion project. That's like... Because I do welding and fabrication for my job, and that's also what I do for my second job. Yeah. But it is also... You need a hobby hobby. But it's also my hobby. Yeah, you need a hobby from your hobby. Yeah. Last year now, I started building a chopper from scratch. Like a bike. Yeah, like a motorbike. So you, what, you an old Harley and modifying it massively or building the frame from scratch? Frame from scratch. Whoa. I bought a... Anyone who likes Harleys is probably going to no, get I hate mad Harleys. at me about it. But Harleys are horrible. I bought a Kawasaki 800. Out of a Vulcan. A Vulcan, yeah. Oh, and I, dude. the only original part on the bike at the moment is the head stem because it has the VIN number on it mm-hmm. and the motor. And then the frame I've made from 4130 chromoly. Why are we doing this without the headphones on? Uh, no, I've, it's, it's been recording the whole time, so oh. it's fine. Oh, I was talk. I was talking about you, Tim. I thought you were gone. <laughs> yeah. So the frame is forty-one thirty chromoly, and I'm making a old school style like Springer front end for it, which is also going to be forty-one thirty chromoly with like black springs. And I got my friend of mine to machine some brass bushings for it. So the whole theme of the bike is going to be like black and brass but yeah that's that's so what are you going to do for the rear end i stretched the frame four inches overall it's it's hard tailed <laughs> okay i figured um, you'd go hard tail with your skill set just yeah. to go i don't care if mars hurts yeah this thing's going to look amazing yeah it's going to be a rough ride and it's also going to be it's it's going to be a long way down the track but it's going to be foot clutch and jockey shift as well so why do you want to go that crazy because I might as well. Yeah, because you can. I've gone to the effort. The the way I see it is I've gone to the effort of building this thing from the ground up. Like, I have not bought one part. It has all been, like, I'm making the tank. I made the seat pan. Actually, I did buy a fender because I don't have the tools to... That's pretty specialised to make the rolled and curved over metal. Yeah. But, yeah, I made the tank, the seat pan, the frame, the front suspension... I'm going to make the handlebars, like absolute, the foot pegs, everything. Yeah. I'm going to make absolutely everything for it. And each component in itself is its own project. So I'm trying to like complete that to the utmost of my ability so that once it is all put together, it's not like, oh, I just half-assed the seat pan. And yeah, just do each thing that. properly and then move to the next step. Yeah. Wow. And, um, I work on that on and off and that is kind of my outlet. Like I, I have, when, when I had chronic fatigue, I really, I couldn't work on it and also I had no money so I couldn't buy the $500 worth of chromoly I needed for yeah. the forks and I just hadn't really got back into it for, until literally last weekend and I spent Friday night and Saturday working on mounting the tank, putting a tunnel in and stuff and some of my happiest days are when I am by myself working on something like this. And yeah, I like, I really needed it. Like it's, even though I'm doing that kind of thing every day or week, and then I've got other projects, like my other job is the same thing. 
this is a complete outlet for me. It's for some reason it's the same thing, but it's completely different because it's, I can be creative. I have all the freedom to do what I want with that. You know, the, the first tank I made didn't come out the way I wanted it to, and then it had a small leak in it. And I, if you go to my Instagram, you will see this tank, and it's hard to describe, but it's 37 pieces of flat sheet that I have then fully seam welded into this like <laughs> isometric shape. <laughs> And um, it was an absolute nightmare to make. And I hand filed each face so that it's completely flat. And yeah, the first one I made, I wasn't happy with. So I actually ended up shooting it with a shotgun. And, um, yeah, but that made you feel better temporarily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did. I felt, I felt There's much a better. moment where you hear the bang. <laughs> the purge. It really does help. Cause, and that was like, I actually could have maybe fixed that and, and still used it. But I was like, it's not as good as what I can do. You wanted the success. So. Yeah, and I was like, I need to not allow myself to use this. And the only way to do that is to, to destroy, destroy it. Ensure <laughs> yeah. its destruction. Yeah. <laughs> at, at some point, can we come visit with the recording gear and play, you know, explore all the components of the motorcycle? It's almost embarrassing to talk about because I've spent so long working on it. And at the moment, it is a frame with a tank and a seat on it and that's pretty much it yeah but that's cool it'll grow we, that's yeah, more of a motorbike than I've ever made <laughs> <laughs> yeah good point it's um I, I did order the chromoly for the forks recently so hopefully that will be here this week and this weekend I will begin yeah sorry what's chromoly apologies a type of steel chromoly right. is a type of steel used it was used in like World War 2 and stuff to make like aeroplane chassis it cool. was the beginning of much better more stable steel yeah. it's stronger than steel but it has more flex than steel yeah interesting before it it breaks so <clears throat> that's why it was good for right so aircrafts. do you know what the chrome and molybdenum proportions are in it of the kind of classic version you're using for this no okay i don't no because it's just you know um there's all sorts of knife steels that are essentially chrome molly as well and i imagine they've been tweaked to specific you know be specifically good for that use so it's almost like this whole class of steel came along when everyone went molybdenum and chrome together make a much better package yeah it's insane how many types of steels and alloys and yeah like it never ends no there someone's are, always going can I add this yeah there's ones you uh, will never have heard about used in aerospace and stuff well, i the, can't even think of what they're called but. well the craziest one i actually own as a knife is some stuff called i think it's lc200n which was designed for nasa to make bearings for things that were going into space <laughs> and it is a nitrogen rich stainless steel and then someone thought could we make a knife out of it <laughs> and you end up with the performance of a super stainless steel but totally rust resistant yeah. So for the first time in human history, with a metal blade, we have a totally rust-resistant metal blade. It's almost like going back to having you know a piece of volcanic glass as a blade, but this won't shatter. Yeah. And it's gratuitously expensive. And you had to have it. Well, well <laughs> yeah. I had to have two because <laughs> one was not enough. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what I'm like. No, I've got three. Oh, I'm worse than I thought I was. <laughs> Like with this project and doing each piece individually, it's, I don't care if this thing never gets on the road. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't, that's not why I'm doing it. Yeah. It's for the experience. Like I, before this, I had never fabricated with chromoly. Yeah. And now I've made the frame and I've done some titanium stuff before as well, but 
I'm going to do the exhaust out of titanium. And luckily, I know someone in aerospace who sent me some Inconel sheet and That's real cool. rod and stuff. So I'm going to utilize that somehow, maybe for like some heat shields for the exhaust out yep. of Inconel or something. So Okay, so- if you want to go really crazy, next year on Instagram, look up a compound called Timascus. Mm. And it's where knife makers are doing layers of Damascus to get the patterns and the colors by essentially welding titanium layers together. Yeah, I've seen Damascus. It is it's insane. amazing. Yes, insane. So you you mentioned before when you had chronic fatigue that the project took a took a hiatus for a little bit, right? Do you have this internal time frame that you want to have it happen in? Like, why do you put the time frame on it when it is a creative outlet? I, is it to is it for, for everyone onus? else? I constantly battle with that, right? So. There have been things I've done. I've spent weekends on it and I'm like, oh, I've got to get this done. And then I'll rush to do it. And then I look at it and I'm going, not happy. I go, fuck's sake, why did I yeah. do that? I'm Now I'm just going to scrap that because I lose sight of why I'm doing it. Yeah. By thinking about, that's why I try to think, think of each individual component as its own project. Yeah. So that I'm not like, oh, let's just get it running a motorbike. Yes, yeah, sick. That's not why I'm doing it. No, but because Monday to Friday in the same workshop is deadline, due date, deadline, due date, trying to get the gear shift in your head from, no, no, this isn't the deadline project. This is the do it so I love it project. Yeah. One of the sayings in like the chopper building community is enjoy the process. Yeah. And sometimes, some days I'll be battling with something and I just need to go, all right, look, today's not the day that I should be doing this because... I'm just getting frustrated at it. You're yeah. not enjoying the process. And I'm not yeah. enjoying the process and that is just going to make a shitty outcome. So I walk away from it. Mm. Yeah, the only reason I ask is writing a song is I never really try to put a time time frame on it, but you always want to finish. You know, yeah. there, there's the drive to finish the project and finish the song or finish the whatever you're creating. So it's a weird like dichotomy of that. It's like hurry up and finish, but enjoy it the whole way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also accepting too that finishing can mean perfect, which is just not going to happen normally. Never. Or this is good enough for what I want to achieve and I really would like to get on the next bit. So that's enough to say I'm finished for now on this. Doesn't yeah. mean it's perfect, but it does mean it's okay to move on. And that's sort of the healthier option sometimes. Yeah, that's the good thing about like I go back and forward between working on certain parts of it and like once I get a little bit burnt out on something I can go and then work on the other part of it so it's not linear you can do like yeah, lots so of different things if you want to and and I already know in the next year or so or possibly longer when I finish this thing I'm gonna hate it <laughs> <laughs> no no you won't hate it you'll finish it someone will pay you a shit ton because it's the first one you've ever built and you will take everything you've learned and you'll start working on Mark 2. And then sometime in the future, Mark 2 will be finished and you'll hate it and you'll sell it to someone for a shit ton and they'll think you're a god and then you'll work on Mark 3. And then you start making knives. Yeah, and then David will drive you mental forever. Just like knife-laden chopper. (laughs) Come on, I'd already thought that. If anyone wants to look back to the early 90s Judas Priest's album Painkiller... I'm pretty sure the motorcycle on that is armed to the teeth. We have potential. <laughs> Here you go. Cool. Put your order in, David. 
Yes, this is bad. This is good. A tig junkie bad. knife chopper. Yeah. Whoa. Original. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On that note, audience, just because it's important, we have now switched to drinking Bridge Road Celtic Red Ale. I must admit. outstanding. Look, I, here's how I would describe it for the listeners. It's like drinking, it's like licking an ashtray, but you like it. What's wrong with him? No, seriously, there's something about it that just tastes like cigarette ash. It, I don't Does know. Does anyone else get that? Is it? Um, that was a joint sip break. Yeah, yeah. ever, ever. <laughs> Not necessarily ashtray. I wouldn't a, say. I would it say it has a bitter syrupy. end. A syrupy, really? Because I'm, I'm like, I'm literally thinking about licking a yeah, gravel road. It's starting. <laughs> it starts almost chocolatey, yeah. and then goes to this kind of amber note, and then ends. And it is, it's an ash note, but to me it's like the, you know, the cold ash the next day in a wood fire. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm getting. Like the syrup, the amber is a better description. Amber, I think amber is a nice nice way to put it. (laughs) You you think it's a bit dirtier? No, yeah, I think it's, I'm I'm not saying I don't love it. Like it's, it's, it is a beer that I like drinking, but... There's something like that's what I when I have a second one to work it out because this is what I said when I like described it. It's like I mean I mean it in the nicest way possible. It's like you you're literally licking like the cigarette butt out of an an ashtray, but you you like it, you enjoy it. There's something about it that's like does this good job. (laughs) I don't know how to I don't know how to say it any better. (laughs) Gentlemen, that appears to be a point we're starting to lose track. Do we think we we probably? Do we think we've probably got everything we want? Well, to get? I feel like we've established this is more blind insights than it has been blind drunk. But yeah, it's I've, awesome. Mm. But I would rather save more for next time because I think this should be an every three month thing. Okay, sounds what do you good. Think? You getting hungry, David? Yes. Thank you very much, Lucas Day, for joining us. You've kind of, uh, I'll give you this opportunity to uh, plug where people can find you. Yeah, so lucasdaymusic.com. I also have Spotify and iTunes and Facebook and Instagram. Just trying to make a life out of writing music and that kind of good stuff lovely and of course uh, a happy birthday and thank you for joining us and uh, an opportunity for you Patrick Murray to plug where, where people can find you and, and look at the wonderful bike that you're making <laughs> thanks man Tig Junkie on Instagram is probably the best place to find me so easy as that easy as that lovely and thank you very much David thank you gentlemen it was an awesome episode no, thanks for having us guys that was great thank you audience Hello listeners, if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out.